Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is sponsored by BT, because BT means business. BT knows that businesses come in many shapes, sizes, and guises, from the person just starting out at their kitchen table to the biggest employer, which is why no matter what line of work you're in, they've got your back to help you succeed and do what you do best. No doubt connectivity is a must in Westminster, and it certainly helped us to get this episode created and distributed to you listening right now. BT already connects more than 1 million businesses and public sector organisations, offering secure and reliable connectivity. Nearly three quarters of people running a business or side hustle feel they couldn't do so without reliable broadband and mobile connectivity. That's why having connectivity you can count on is a must for business, whether it be facilitating multiple devices being connected at once or making team calls or guest Wi-Fi access for customers. BT's connectivity helps keep you and your customers happy. Whatever your business, BT's got your back. Search BT's got your back. Hello and welcome to the Red Box Politics Podcast on The Times. I'm Matt Chorley. We've left the usual studio this week. I'm in Westminster or Pestminster as it's been dubbed by some, to discuss the sexual harassment scandal which seems to be engulfing Parliament this week. We'll speak to Jess Phillips, the Labour MP, who's been outspoken in criticising Theresa May for not sacking some of the Tory MPs already named and shamed. And I'll also be asking her, what is the matter with people? Why can't they just come to Parliament, do their jobs and go home without sending people who don't want it, pictures of their private parts. I'll also speak to Jane Merrick, Redbox regular columnist, about her experience as a young political journalist and how she was made to feel uncomfortable by a Conservative MP and what she thinks needs to change in Parliament. Already this week, we've seen Michael Fallon apologise for putting his hand on the knee of Julia Hartley Brewer, a journalist some 15 years ago. Mark Garnier, a government minister, has admitted taking his research to buy sex toys for his wife and uh, constituency worker. Stephen Crabb, former cabinet minister, has admitted sending inappropriate texts to a 19-year-old woman who had applied unsuccessfully for a job with him. So how serious is it? How wide does it go? And this list which is circulating amongst Tory researchers, the dirty dossier, how seriously should we be taking it? I'm joined now in the Portcullis House in the Palace of Westminster, surrounded by MPs, researchers and parliamentary staff to pick over some of these issues. I'm joined by Rachel Sylvester, the Times columnist, who's written this week about what she sees as a strain of misogyny on the hard left. Henry Zeffman, a Times political reporter who's been looking at this dirty dossier, trying to get to the bottom of what it all means. And Hannah McGrath, the Red Box reporter who has first leaked the list and has also worked in Parliament for some time and knows many of these researchers well. Welcome to you all. Henry, just explain to us first of all, what is this list? Who is behind it? And how seriously should we be taking it? Uh, So there is, uh, in the sort of post-Weinstein era, the wave of recriminations about dodgy behaviour from powerful men has swept through Westminster and one facet of that uh, is this list of 
40 or so Conservative MPs that has been circulating around the corridors of Westminster. Uh, we think it's been compiled by some Tory researchers. It's certainly uh, that's the main artery through which it's being shared. Uh, now, one of the complicating factors about this list, and various sort of redacted versions of it have been published, including in the Times, uh, so not with the names but with the allegations uh, being made against each name, uh, is that it conflates uh, some stuff which is clearly consensual, affairs between adults of, you know, consenting adults of equal power, uh, and some allegations which it makes are really quite serious. So, you know, persistent harassment of researchers from an MP, i.e., you know, people who have much less power uh, may not have recourse to a complaint to tell the MP to knock it off. Um, but the sort of fact of the list's existence, which has been published uh, early this week, uh, you know, has got Westminster buzzing with talk of what more allegations there might be out there. And how true do we think the allegations are? Because it's not beyond the wit of people in this building to sometimes make up things about rivals, opponents, whether they're political rivals in different parties or, you know, a, a researcher who thinks that somebody else has got a job they wanted to get, an MP who's on the up and there's jealousy and bitterness and all that sort of thing. And it's, it's obviously quite difficult, therefore, to get to the bottom of it. So certainly uh, the list uh, is, to an extent, a sort of compilation of all sorts of gossip which has been ricocheting around this place for a long time. But that isn't to say that aspects of it, uh, if not large parts of it, aren't true. We don't know. Uh, I can tell you, having you know investigated some of the allegations made in there over the past few days, that it's certainly not the case that all of it is true. Uh, but that, that isn't to say, I mean, you know, it would be uh, a scandal and, uh, you know, important story if just one or two of the most serious allegations on there were true. Uh, and that's the kind of broader picture that does matter, even if it is the case that some of these uh, allegations are just salacious gossip. The fact that Parliament is a place where they are plausible does suggest that there is a sort of deeper structural issue which needs looking at. Hannah, what have you made of the this? You worked in and around Parliament for some time. Does the, does the list and the general conversation that's going on in Westminster now chime with your experience? Yeah, and I think the fact that a number of MPs have come out uh, in, in the chamber yesterday uh, and, you know, across sort of broadcast media and said, you know, I have personal experience of this, I know my staff have done, um, does bear out the fact that these rumours, uh, you know, if not uh, in their specifics substantiated, are part of a wider culture, which I think is ripe for change. And I think that's part of the, the motivation behind the researchers that compiled this list. Um, I, uh, I sort of received this list over the weekend. Uh, it's something which... Uh, has been sort of, you know, on the rumour mill for five five years or so. Um, you know, it's it's basically sort of a scrapbook of uh, things that people have heard on a repeated basis. Uh, I asked the, the the sources I was working on, what is your standard of proof here? What qualifies somebody uh, to be put on this list? And they did make it clear that there is quite a high sort of threshold for uh, inclusion in this list. They were very careful not to include people who they thought, you know, had consensual relationships perhaps with researchers, but those that they considered to be inappropriate and were widely amongst the researchers' community considered to be inappropriate and uh, to have, on repeated occasions, uh, made others feel uncomfortable or perhaps gone further than that. Um, they, they put the, them on the list and they are standing by their inclusion in the list. No, wait, so the, because of this list being all Tory MPs, all the focus is on the Tories at the moment. But you've written in the Times this week, 
talking about the culture generally and, and particularly the culture within the Labour Party and on the left of misogynistic views and we've seen that recently most dramatic with Jared O'Mara. Do you think that this is confined to one political party? No, it's definitely all political parties and in fact there's a similar list um, being built up by Labour Group, uh, Labour 2 website, um, where a group of women as counsellors and researchers I think mainly uh, are trying to gather a similar database and one of the counsellors in fact have been told you know drop your allegations if you want a future in Labour so there's that kind of power threatening situation which is incredibly which is just wrong and then the Liberal Democrats obviously you've got Lord Renard who was publicly accused by four women of sexual harassment um, stood down as chief executive but he's still a peer he was out campaigning for Vince Cable I think this goes across all parties um, and there is a culture at Westminster where there's an imbalance between some very powerful people, some much less, very young people who are, who are ambitious but don't have the same power. There's a lot of alcohol, there are a lot of late nights, um, and it's quite an unhealthy imbalance, rather like the film industry, where there's a sort of huge imbalance in power. You've got the constituency office rather than the casting couch, if you like, but there's a similar potential for exploitation, which I think all the parties have got to be aware of. And it's interesting because there could be a specific case where someone is told, drop this or you won't have a future in politics. But actually, that implied threat is there all the time. If you're a researcher, and it's tough even to get into Parliament as a researcher. I mean, they're badly paid, they work long hours, they get treated quite badly. But even that is a tough gig to get. And so the implied threat of, well, if you stick your head above the power pit and raise a complaint, you'll be out on your ear, you'll be bad-mouthed by other researchers, you'll be bad-mouthed by... Uh, potentially by the MP and other MPs. So your your political career is over before it's even got off the ground. And the whole way the, the political discipline system works through the Whips office, it operates really by fear and threats. It's not a kind of proper structured system. It's, it's all a kind of nod and a wink and dark threats. Henry, part of the issue, uh, although at least the background to all of this, is ultimately Theresa May doesn't have a majority. She's currently running a minority government relying on the DUP. So literally every every MP counts. So people, lots of people have been asking quite fairly, why did she not sack Mark Garnier, uh, who was the MP revealed at the weekend to have called his researcher sugar tits and taken her to a sex shop to buy sex toys? Why has Stephen Crabbe still got the Tory whip when it's been revealed for the second time? Uh, that he's been texting a 19-year-old woman who's applied unsuccessfully for a job with him. If you're going to be completely cynical about it, part of the reason why she hasn't done either of those things is because she needs both of them to turn out and vote to get stuff through the House of Commons. And if she sets the bar at inappropriate behaviour, being saying inappropriate things or sending inappropriate texts, that's actually potentially quite a low bar for her to have to remove the whip from quite a lot of people. Well, that, that's certainly right. I, I, I mean, I, I don't know why she didn't uh, withdraw the whip or, or sack Mark Garnier from the government in particular, but uh, it certainly is the case that if she had sacked him, there are perhaps a dozen, probably more, ministers on this list where if the allegations against them were proven or they admitted them like Mark Garnier had, then she would have to sack them too. And then suddenly you're in a case where, you know, she has sacked, you know, 12 ministers or whatever uh, when she doesn't have a functional majority. Uh, that's not really doable. That's not quite survivable, perhaps. Um, on the other hand, uh, I don't think you could say that May's handling of the Mark Garnier case in particular was pretty, was, was dexterous at all. 
she decided to ask the cabinet office, which is the sort of technocratic coordinating department, or the most technocratic amongst, you know, a street, Whitehall, of technocrats, uh, to look into whether Mark Garnier had broken the ministerial code. He's only been a minister since July 2016. The incident took place in 2010, whereas Stephen Crabb, who she didn't ask for any investigation of, was actually a minister at the time of the allegations. It makes no sense whatsoever. But more generally, to suggest that Mark Garnier asking his secretary to buy him sex toys can be reduced to a question of whether he broke a ministerial code rather than Theresa May's moral code, I think might come back to bite her in terms of how she's handled this scandal. Honey, you had this experience last year where you broke the story about Stephen Crabb the first time. This is while he was still still working for the secretary and running for um, the Tory leadership. It seems like a very long time ago. It was only 18 months ago. How difficult is it to get someone still at the start of their, essentially their political career to put, to put it all, all that on the line, to, uh, to go on the record or at least give you enough of the information for, for the paper at the Times to print it? The short answer is extremely. Um, what I would say is that a lot of people over the past few days have approached me uh, and and said I want to I want to go on the record, but I don't want to I don't want to be named. I don't want there any risk of me being exposed. And this is what happened uh, last year uh, with the Stephen Crabb case. Uh, there was a uh, quite a, an extensive process of uh, reassurances that needed to be given to uh, the the source in question um, that there would be no evidence whatsoever uh, that their hand was on this. Um, and that's mainly because uh, a lot of people, young people in, in politics, are terrified um, that exposure could lead to uh, the end of their career, the end of their friendships, um, and the loss of respect amongst their peer group. That's, that's not something that anyone will wish upon themselves, and that's why they have to go to reputable newspapers to ensure they're dealing with, with you know, worthwhile reporters who are going to protect their sources. However, um, you know, the, the wider point here, and this is something that I think you know, needs to be made time and again, um, is that there is no centralised HR system in Parliament. When I was working uh, here uh, a few years ago, um, I heard stories and you know had friends who had had really bad experiences with MPs, not just sexual harassment uh, allegations, but bullying, unreasonable demands, um, things that in a normal workplace in the private sector, um, you know, would have triggered uh, tribunals uh, as you know as soon as you can say uh, you know allegation. Um, it, it's something which really does need to be cleaned up. There have been calls for it repeatedly for the last decade. Um, if there's something like this that you know does threaten to embarrass uh, you know people, um, then then I think it's worth it. I think you know it's ridiculous that a legislature uh, you know that, that creates regulations about workplace rights um, and you know contract law should itself have standards of employment, staff welfare that fall well below what is expected in every other profession. Rachel, it's interesting that the what happened after the expenses scandal was the, the responsibility for MPs' expenses was taken away from them. It's now dealt with by Ipsa, a sort of standalone watchdog. And at the time, there was a great debate about, well, could this body be have superiority, are going to be sovereign over Parliament? But actually, it's just a question of watching the money going in and out and making sure it's all done above board. Do you see something similar happening, a sort of external body which just essentially maybe directly employs researchers who are assigned to MPs and ultimately MPs can decide who it is that they want to work for them but there's a proper procedure in place. Yeah, in, sort of human resources exactly, department yeah. as in a company and MPs resisted that on the expenses scandal because they thought it would undermine their independence and autonomy but actually the problem is if you are an employee of some of an individual you have much less power in that situation than if it's a more structured 
system. There's, there's also the issue of, um, you know, if you do have a complaint to make, and you know there have been instances of this where people have to go to the whips, and in, in many cases the whips are the friends of the MPs they're reporting on. So if your direct line manager is your MP and you have a, a grievance or a complaint about your MP, you know, it's not very easy to go to your boss and say, you know, I have this complaint. Uh, in the same way, you're not going to go to their best friend who you've seen on Instagram they've been spending weekend drinks with and say, oh, by the way, there's this severe impropriety. And then where does that grievance go? You know that that grievance goes into a black book which is being held in the whip's office and it won't go any further in terms of redressing, you know, the wrong that you believe has been, uh, you know, carried out to you. It's going to be used as leverage and as a kind of institutionalised blackmail system to control MPs and to win votes in Parliament. That is not a healthy thing for young... That is not a healthy introduction to the workplace for young people and it shouldn't be the way that MPs operate. Rich, there's been a lot of talking about uh, the culture in Parliament, the language that people use, the terrible word banter, uh, that gets sort of used as a just uh, sweep aside a whole load of unacceptable language and behaviour. Um, you've written in the in the Times about how you see a particular problem on the left, this sort of misogyny, this streak of misogynism that we see on the on the left at the moment. Yeah, I think the culture's got. I've been writing about politics now for twenty years or something, and it has got better in some ways. So when I started, you'd have Tory MPs weighing their hands in front of them as if they're weighing the female MP's breast almost. It's totally revolting. I don't think you would get that now. Or the Tory MP who said to a young Labour researcher. Uh, a young Labour MP get out of the lift because he assumed she was a secretary at a division time. Um, but but there is definitely um, still undercurrents of really dark misogyny and that's coming up I think more with the rise of the hard left in the Labour Party. So some of the moderate female Labour MPs have had appalling death threats, rape threats on social media including from the Corbynistas and I think what worries me about that is it, they, they justify it to themselves. It's almost a sort of ends justify the means thing, whereas in order they, they feel that feminism, women's rights, are a distraction from the true cause of socialism, which is class war, um, and they don't realise that they're wrong. Well, we even saw that in some of Jared Omar's responses to... Yeah. The things he'd posted online was it, it was basically well because I'm in the Labour Party. Exactly. That sort of absolves me. I can't be sexist in the Party because must I, be in favour yeah. of equality. But actually, there are different types of equality, and I think they have a sort of hierarchy of victimhood where you've got you know the poor and Palestinians at the top, and then it goes down. Women are somewhere at the bottom, basically. Uh, on the subject of it, while we've been sitting here chatting, Stephen Crabb is walking around Portcullis House, happily chatting away to people. Um, uh, most of the most of them seem. Uh, middle-aged, so that's uh, that's all good news. Uh, for now, Hannah McGrath, Rachel Sylvester, Henry Zeffman, thank you very much. So I'm joined now by Jane Merrick, a, I think, vet veteran journalist, can yeah, we call you a veteran right. journalist? Been in the lobby for a long time, and you've spoken about an experience that you had when you were quite young, when you fir were first in the lobby. Just explain uh, what happened to you. Yes, I mean, I'm talking about this not to dwell on what happened to me, but actually just to, to be part of the debate and to say that I believe it is still obviously going on. Um, but what happened to me, I mean, this was 14 years ago. I was 29. I was a, a junior political correspondent at the Daily Mail. And it was my job, as it is lots of, for lots of lobby journalists, to, to take MPs out for lunch. And it was, you know, I would do two or three of these a week. It was completely normal. Um, so I took out this Conservative MP for lunch. We had a couple of glasses of wine. 
um, on the way back um, we were walking back through Westminster Hall and just after Westminster Hall there's a kind of a quiet cloakroom where no one really goes and then you come out to the, the car park and he was going in a different direction and as we were leaving I was sort of expecting a, you know, a goodbye and he sort of went in and lunged and went in to kiss me on the lips and it was I sort of shrank in sort of I uh, just shrank back and, and um, it was pretty humiliating and I ran off, ran upstairs and back to the press gallery. Um, I mean, this was the only time that somebody did cross the line in 14 years of working in the House of Commons, but I still felt humiliated at the time and I still felt I couldn't talk to anyone about it because I worried about being blacklisted by... Conservative MPs. I mean, he's you know he was he is well connected with lots of other MPs, and he would talk to other people and say you can't trust Jane Merrick at lunch, and that was my fear. So I just said nothing. And so, and I know you've written about it in the past, but by talking about it now, do you hope that that will encourage other people to come forwards, particularly if things have happened more recently? Yes. I, I mean, I know that this is still going on. I, um, since the Harvey Weinstein affair blew up, I've had messages from women who work in Westminster who have explained what's happened to them with, with different MPs and also actually with officials in political parties and I, you know, that I think is a problem as well yeah. and that's obviously not going to come under the auspices of any new regime in Parliament um, and yes, and, it, and it's, you know I accept that my experience was on the less serious end of the spectrum it was 14 years ago and that's why I haven't chosen to name him because I think if I did, then that would become the story, not the fact that we need to change the system and we need to give reassurance to women who have been subjected to some serious assaults, actually. And, you know, I was told by women that they did complain to the parliamentary authorities and nothing happened. And they now feel that they can't come forward now because they still feel like they're not, they don't really trust the system to help them. And have you been surprised, given what we've seen over the last few days, the revelations about Mark Garnier and Stephen Crabb, that even, even when people are named, people come forwards, quite serious allegations are made, nothing's happened. The Prime Minister hasn't, say, withdrawn the whip from Stephen Crabb. No. The, the people might feel, well, even, even in a case like that, nothing has happened. So sort of putting your head above the parapet is yes. a difficult thing to do. It is difficult, and actually there always seems to be a reason why nothing has happened yeah. so if a young woman or even a young man was thinking about coming into politics do you think that they should be put off by this talk about the culture which is in Westminster if you'd asked me this five days ago actually when when there was a sort of an, an atmosphere of you know there was a real sense that there were a sort of a, a the mood was changing after Weinstein that people were speaking out yeah. that there are whatsapp groups that you can talk that you that people can share information I would have said, actually, there is a better environment for young men and women to come and work because there is a support system there. But we don't see... It doesn't... Actually, since Thursday, the reaction has been quite negative about people who are coming forward because there hasn't been something really serious involving someone really senior. It doesn't feel... Yet it sort of... It feels like... It's everything's still being excused and and the kind of system the, the, the situation might just get swept under the carpet again so I think there isn't there's still that confidence gap there and so where do you think this all ends up what's the people have likened it to the MP's expenses scandal but 
part of the issue with that was there was a paper trail and there were records and mm. it was easy to prove if someone was claiming on a mortgage that didn't exist. Yeah. Whereas proving that something happened in a situation which by definition normally involves two people in a room on their own yes. is much harder. Yes, and it involves people, you know, often when the, the person who's been harassed feels ashamed and humiliated and finds it difficult to talk about. I mean, you know, the, the women I've spoken to who have had the more serious experiences when you when you experience something like that you actually just don't want to talk about it to anybody that this is why people don't go to the police because they just don't want to talk about it they want to forget about it in in a lot of cases you know i've i've said that this system that this this story shouldn't be about finding scalps it should be about changing the system however i think it really needs the prime minister to do more actually than than sort of what she's done so far i i think the difference with the expenses scandal actually is it's not just about the paper, that there isn't a paper trail. It's also that the public were really outraged that their money was being mis- misspent. I don't think there is going to be enough of a public outrage that people who work in Westminster are experiencing actually what happens to them in their working lives. You know, and I think it's important for us to talk about it in Westminster. This is also important to recognise that this is going on in a lot of workplaces across the country, that there are women and men who are being bullied and sexually assaulted and harassed at work. And I think there has to be a recognition there. And that's the difference with the expenses scandal. Jay Merrick, thank you very much. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This episode of Politics Without the Boring Bits is brought to you by Luton Rising, owners of London Luton Airport, the UK's most socially impactful airport. Find out more at lutonrising.org.uk. So I'm joined now by Jess Phillips. We're sitting in the German restaurant, which is just off Portcullis House. Uh, Jess, um, you've written about, is tidal wave the right word of allegations uh, that have been coming out? You wrote about it for Red Box, and I think you were, you were trying to sort of separate the serious and the not so serious the the you know there are grades of seriousness yeah and it seems a bit of an odd conversation for people to be having yeah but it is a live conversation it is yeah and and trying to sort of make a hierarchy of inappropriate behavior just makes it seem like all appropriate behavior in here has been inappropriate and now we have to settle for some of it i'm not willing to settle for sort of any sort of sexism or 
sort of anything that makes people feel uncomfortable, I think, was what Andrea Ledson led, put the bar at. Uh, and that should all be stopped. But putting it all into one big pot of soup of people having affairs and people not even having affairs, people just having relationships, consenting adults having relationships and people making sort of banter, humour in everyday practice at the same level as people who are being sexually assaulted, sexually harassed in the Palace of Westminster is not going to be helpful. We have to stamp out the sort of ban- the idea that banter doesn't create a culture um, that allows that to flourish because it does. They're all bad and, and none of it should be going on in here. But we need to really focus on the serious stuff. And what's the atmosphere been like this week as this more claims and revelations and allegations have come out? What is the are people sort of treating each other differently? Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's it's only small things and mostly we're just cracking on with our jobs. Um, but, uh, you know, I think that there is some reticence on behalf certainly of Tory men um, to to be in the same way friendly that they might have been before or to give you a kiss on the cheek if they might have done that before. Um, but certainly it hasn't changed our behaviour. I mean, I saw Tom Watson earlier and I gave him a big cuddle, uh, as I would do when I bump into him most of the time. We're friends and that sort of thing is totally acceptable. And the idea of lumping in everybody that I'm hysterical and you can't lay a finger anywhere near me is the same as basically manipulating members of staff in this building it's just not the same all of this as somebody who worked with victims of sexual violence for many many years and domestic violence the problem is about power and control and how that is wielded it is not about how people you know don't want to women to take things the wrong way or that women are suddenly like going to start clutching their pills about every single comment i like a laugh don't get me wrong. Um, but what we have to stamp out is the culture of where power is used to control people. And, the, and Parliament is right for that. Yeah, because there's power everywhere. Yeah. There's researchers working for MPs. Yeah. They want to climb the ladder. Junior MPs want to climb, you know. The, yeah. And the same is true with interactions with journalists. Journalists want information. Absolutely. Politicians want coverage, and it's very complicated, the relationship. Now, you wrote in your piece of Red Box about your personal experience that you were sexually assaulted, not in Parliament, but in a previous job. What did you do then? Did you report it? No, of course I didn't. If I'd reported it, so nothing would have happened if I had and that's part of the problem that we're going to have in here is that the criminal threshold for action is so high so if I had gone into a police station and said I was at a party last night I fell asleep and I woke up and my boss was undoing my trousers and trying to put his hand into my knickers there is the police would have sought witnesses potentially but where none could have been found it could have been it would have been chalked up as a a misunderstanding there's just no way anything would have been done about it and that person was my boss and there was nobody above him he owned the company so what am I going to do so I carried on going to work what can be done within parliament so that somebody in that situation Mm. here feels that they can do something because it is weird how MPs aren't really employed by anyone and MPs are the ones employing the staff. I think that there needs to be a higher authority I suppose Um, 
where there is a grievance process that is independent of members of parliament. The, the most tricky relationship is between members of parliament and the staff in here because there is no accountability above the member of parliament and so that needs to change uh, and that's both in, within the political parties that needs to change and parliament itself. There needs to be a third party independent specialist reporting function um, and also within parties there needs to be that as well. Where's it? What's the ultimate outcome? I think that basically there will be these third party reporting set up in both political parties, certainly within the Labour Party and um, within Parliament. I think those two things will definitely happen and there will be more recourse for people to report things. Unfortunately, nothing will change unless the power dynamic shifts. And for the power dynamic to shift, we have to see action being taken against the perpetrators because impunity is the problem and until while people think that they can still get away with it and until people actually face the consequences of this sort of behavior victims won't feel confident about coming forward and people will just carry on so that means people having the whip withdrawn yeah by elections being triggered absolutely i think that it is it's it's losing your seat yeah isn't it essentially Listen, just before you go, the thing that I, I personally find completely baffling is why can't people just not take pictures of their private parts <laughs> and just stick to texting their other half? Yeah. I mean, I, what, what is the matter with people? Is it something weird about politicians? I, I, I don't think it is just politicians who do this, but I also I cannot understand why anybody in public life, in any walk of public life, would ever sext or send any lewd pictures to somebody who wasn't their significant other although I I don't know why we would send them to them either (laughs) (laughs) frankly yeah bring 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 home some milk is more likely yeah exactly I don't I don't understand what is wrong with I mean whatever floats your boat and all that jazz but I just cannot understand why people in here are not just like you know putting their feet up at the end of the day and watching Bake Off or Strictly <laughs> and I, be uh, this weird risk. compulsion risk taking and I think part of it is about wanting to take a risk and knowing you might get in trouble like a sort of maybe it's I don't know some sort of ingrained naughty schoolboy public school I don't know what it is but who could be bothered <laughs> well um I think we can both agree with that. We both find it uh, equally baffling. Jess Phillips, thank you very much. Well, that's all we've got time for this week. If you want to get in touch with us about any of the issues that we've raised, you can email us redbox at thetimes.co.uk or tweet at timesredbox. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Acast or on your Android device. And you can subscribe to my morning email briefing, thetimes.co.uk forward slash redbox. My thanks to all of my guests who spoke to me here in Parliament. But for me, Matt Chorley, it's goodbye. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk.